welcome to the Commons Cast. We're glad to have you here. We hope you find something meaningful in our teaching this week. Head to commons.church for more information. The beginning of a new Christian year. And that is what this stole is about. It highlights this church season in our worship. And Advent is all about our preparation for Christmas. It's four weeks of waiting and wandering. And I happen to love this season in the church calendar, but more on Advent in a moment. A couple of weeks ago, I was out of town for a few days. Jonathan and I were in lovely San Diego with his family celebrating his parents' 50th wedding anniversary. It was so great, minus the part where I came home with food poisoning and puked on the airplane. That part was much less great. But you know what, I'd even take a little bit of food poisoning to have weekends like this. Let me tell you how great it is for me to be a part of the family that I married into. But how I married into the family is actually pretty weird. It is a strange mystery in my life. When I went to college in 1996, I was in a dorm with Jonathan's older sister, Sarah. And after college, I moved to the San Francisco area to work at a church for a few years, and I got to know Jonathan's oldest sister, Nicole, and her family because they live in the Bay Area. And then after California, I moved to Vancouver where the third sister, Wendy, lives, and we'd hang out almost every week and talk about boys and jobs and friends all the while. There was this younger brother of these three fabulous sisters, and long story short, after 20 years of friendship with this family, I married the brother. (laughs) It genuinely surprised all of us, including me. I mean, how does a story like that even happen? I thought that I was the very worst at dating all through my 20s and my 30s, and then, well, what do you know? turns out that love was there all along, first in friendships and then in partnership. Isn't life like just wild and wacky and mysterious? I mean, sure, it would seem like we were just this happy family on a bunch of steps hanging out together, but the story behind it of me sitting there with these people on this vacation in San Diego, that story is something I never saw coming, a mystery I hope I always marvel at. Which brings us to Advent, our four-week journey to Christmas. And the story of God coming to us in a baby to form a new family with unbreakable bonds of love, that story is a mystery that we marvel at year after year. 
And in our sermon series, we decided to mark our Advent journey with the theme of prayer, but prayer in a way that should be kind of refreshing for you. We called the series Advent Prayers, but it's actually a little stranger than that title. The historical church has held onto five Advent prayers with their Latin titles. So in Latin, the series is called the Pentad of Prayers, which just means five prayers in Latin. And the five prayers go like this. They are the Fiat Mihi, the Magnificat, the Benedictus, the Gloria in Excelsis, and the Nunc Dimittis. Now, why do Latin phrase matter to you at Advent? Well, here is my hot take. These prayers cover everything. The Fiat Mihi prayer is personal, when Mary consents to give birth. And the Magnificat prayer is political, when she sings about God's justice to bring rulers down from thrones. And the Benedictus prayer is familial, when Zechariah and Elizabeth are called to parenthood in their very old age. And the Gloria prayer is cosmic, when angels sing about peace on earth. And the Nunc Dimittis prayer faces death, when Simeon sees the boy Jesus in the temple and says, my work here is done. Our hope is that if prayer has been distant from you for a long time now, Advent can return you to the practice. And if prayer has always been close by, you might sense a new invitation to pray in this season of long nights and cold days. So today, we are unpacking the Fiat Mihi prayer, the May It Be to Me prayer of Mary. And I am calling this sermon, Who is Ready for a Mystery? And we are going to talk about the case of Mary, troubled by an angel, secret identities, and dark turns to light, turns to dark. But before we dive in, let us pray together. Our loving God, we all bring something so different to the season of Advent. Some of us are tired. Some of us are lonely. Some of us are broken in body, in mind, in spirit. And God, I love that you get that. You who put on human flesh and lived as we live. And so in Advent, the themes of waiting and wondering and considering the mystery are here to welcome all of us just the way that we are. May we sense your approach through this baby in our imaginations not yet born, but coming to a world in need, a world in need of love and peace and hope, coming to meet us in the places of our longing and our need. So Spirit, you are here, and we are so grateful for that. Amen. So, 
Our Christian calendar says that with Advent, a new year is here. But our calendar calendar says that we're like a month away from that, right? Or a few weeks. And I have got to know how many of you are making a mad dash to accomplish a goal that you set out to reach in 2019? Oh, not a single one of you. Well... I do have a goal that I am still racing to achieve. It's not because I'm better or anything like that. I'm just like stuck on it. Thankfully, I have some accountability because I'm tackling the goal with my good friend, Lindy. And together, we are working on a reading challenge from the podcast, Reading Women. And Lindy and I are so committed to this challenge that we send each other Snapchat updates. And that is the only thing that I use Snapchat for. A book club, of all things. Now, it could be because I am over 40, but it's more likely just because I am a nerd and I delight in these things. So in this challenge, there are 24 genres that you need to read from in the year, like a translated book published before 1945, a multi-gen family saga, a myth retelling, and so on, all written by women. And for some reason, one of the categories that I kept until the end is mystery or thriller by woman of color. Now, mysteries are outside of my reading wheelhouse, but I finally did some digging and I chose to read the book The Unquiet Dead by Asma Zahanet Khan. And the book is personal and it is political and it is much darker than I expected. And you guys, I am totally into it. Now, I won't dive into what the book is about because this is not a book report sermon, though you know and I know I would slay a book report sermon. Like, that might be my jam. But what I will say is that the mystery genre has a lot to offer us when we step into the story of Mary being surprised by an angel and headed for the greatest mystery of her life. And according to people who know a lot more about mysteries than me, all mysteries need a detective and a secret and a dark turn. And we are going to find all of that in this mystery of Mary and her may it be to me prayer. So the location of Mary's May It Be To Me prayer is in the scene where an angel speaks to Mary. And in church tradition, the scene is known as the Annunciation, the Announcement. And we pick it up in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, greetings to you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. So in the case of Mary, let's take a look at the story within the story. And the timeline tells us that Mary's pregnancy will happen alongside Elizabeth's pregnancy, and Elizabeth being the mother of John the Baptist. And both pregnancies, they're announced by these angels. And Jewish readers would know that Elizabeth and Zechariah's Annunciation is a new Samson story that goes all the way back to the book of Judges. 
Both babies are set apart, but where Samson like colors all outside the lines, John makes this very clear path to the Messiah. And I love this about our sacred stories. They don't involve perfect people in perfect times and places. Again and again, God comes to us through real people. Sometimes God uses messy people like Samson. Other times they are good and they are faithful people like Elizabeth and Zechariah. And maybe we never really know why God chooses some people to play a certain part. But in the case of Mary, even being good and faithful doesn't make her an obvious choice. I mean, let's consider where Mary is located or actually where she isn't located for that matter. Mary isn't in Rome where all important decisions were made. Mary isn't even in Jerusalem where her Jewish faith is centered. Mary is in Galilee, Galilee. Like, nobody cares about Galilee. Galilee is backwoods. And over the centuries, many have tried to crack the case of Mary. Like, why would God choose her? And there are all kinds of theories and theologies about that question. There's even a work called the Proto-Evangelium of James written in 140 CE, which says that Mary was devoted to the Lord since infancy and that she actually just passed her time in the temple with daily conversations with angels. I mean, sure, the story is apocryphal, But that doesn't mean it isn't really important. Because for 2,000 years, Mary has been what we need her to be. We know very little from the scriptures about this young woman. And our imaginations have run wild with that scarcity for centuries. I mean, even I have these moments, thanks to my Catholic upbringing, where Mary meets me and tells me something of God's tender nature. Mary is who we need her to be, and it turns out she is who God needs too. God loves a story that you don't expect, a mystery you can't unravel. And you know why that matters to you and to me? Because This life is not what you'd expect. You know that. I mean, it's likely that you didn't expect a piece of your family to just fall apart or your mental health to be such a slog. And you didn't expect that the person you trust the most would have the power to tear you in two or your body would turn on you. You didn't expect that your faith foundation could just crumble and your sense of home and safety would evaporate. The case of Mary is that she's not what you'd expect. That's the point. And just like Mary, whose annunciation came after Elizabeth's, whose annunciation came after Samson's mother's angel visit, your unexpected life fits in God's story too. 
the case for you is that God is perfectly happy to deal in the unexpected. I am not saying that God did any of the unexpected to you. I'm just saying that God will reach into the heart of anything that is broken and weak and ignored. And God will say, hey, don't worry. I can use that. God is thrilled even to trouble us with healing like that. So listen for the trouble that this angel brings to Mary. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Ancient Israel took the presence of angels for granted. Angels turn up in deserts and they deliver these holy messages and they assure people that God is deeply involved in human life. But what about you in your life? Do angels just turn up in your story, deliver you words from heaven, assure you of God's presence? Maybe they do, but if you're like me, You sure haven't noticed them. In Genesis 18, three men appear to Abraham and Sarah, and Abraham and Sarah prepare a meal for them. And later, it is noted that these figures who look like men are angels. And in Hebrews 13, the writer says that by showing hospitality to one another, we could be entertaining angels unaware. So these texts, they express something familiar about angels. Angels can look like us. And whatever the form, they deliver news that we need to hear, but news that comes out of nowhere, revelation we did not see coming. It's not easy to absorb announcements like that. And we're told that Mary is troubled, And the Greek verb for her agitation is diaterazo. And diaterazo is a combination of two words. Dia means through or to the limit. And terazo means trouble or stir up. And one study explains that the verb involves intensely going back and forth between inner thoughts and emotions. So big news is disorienting. When something shifts in your world and you get news you aren't expecting, you're not supposed to make sense of it right away. Be gentle with yourself. The verb here, it is too strong for us to imagine. Mary's fear is just gone in a flash. And even as her eyes adjust to this heavenly being and her heart beats so fast, she can like feel it in her fingertips. And she tries really hard to take in the message that is being spoken to her, even in the confusion to make sense of this address. Assurance comes. There is blessing for Mary in her fear. And blessings, they are there in your fear too. 
pronounced favor in the wake of news you did not see coming, says, blessed are those who are afraid. Blessed are those who aren't prepared. Blessed are those who don't even feel like they know themselves that well. Being troubled by an angel or a message or a mystery doesn't mean God is far away. It may even mean that God is finally drawing near. So the angel says to Mary, This son of yours will be the son of the Most High. God will give the child the throne of David, and Jesus will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. This is a kingdom that will never end. Now, this verse is packed with ancestral identities, and recently, my little niece was putting together the importance of where we come from, and she's four. So my niece said to my sister, I know you grew in Gabe, which is what she calls my mom, her grandma. And Gabe grew in Grandma Georgie. Now that's my grandma, her great grandma. But then she asked my sister, but where did Grandma Georgie grow? Like even a four-year-old has this sense that where we come from, it matters. And sometimes we are super, super aware of that, but other times we are much less reverent about our roots. And when we look at the ancestral identities in these angels' words to Mary, it's helpful to remember the words they sit in and come from an ancient worldview that saw existence in three tiers. And we call this the three-tiered universe. So heaven is above where God most high dwells, and the world is below where we live, and the underworld is beneath us where we feel we will go when we die. Now, the great wars of the last century caused this worldview to collapse. And Diana Butler Bass, in her great book called Grounded, says that we now live in a theologically flattened world. And she writes, we have found that the ranks of saints and angels seem to have thinned, and no deity will be sending miracles to fix the mess we are in. But the disappearance of our certainty in the face of such human tragedy doesn't erase where we come from. We come from this three-tiered universe. Three tiers are written all over the scriptures. But we have not outgrown this Christmas story. No way. Christmas reveals the secret to our encounter with the divine, that God is not above and distant and so far away. God is incredibly near. So we return to the text. How can this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month for no word from God will ever fail. 
Now, in Greek, Mary's question is just seven words. Seven words of protest. And frankly, I think the angel sidesteps her question. She asks, how can this be? And the angel says, well, God will do something to make it so. Then the angel throws in some words about shadows and relatives and this final platitude, no word from God will ever fail. I mean, we're aware here, aren't we? Of the kind of burden that this angel is placing on Mary, there is no way that she will be able to dodge the social stigma that is sewn on her lapel. We're talking about an unwed mother in the first century. Humiliation and pain are placed on Mary in this scene. So when we cozy up to a very neat and a very tidy toy manger, we actually miss the fullness of this tale. Advent does not prepare us for gift-wrapped presents or gingerbread lattes, though it is perfectly fine if you enjoy those things. Advent actually prepares us for unanswered questions and burdens that feel too heavy to carry. In a path so solitary, sometimes you feel like you might break apart. It is not easy to crack the Advent mystery, but mystery It makes you think. Mystery involves your imagination. Mystery wakes you up. So let's be glad that these words from an angel to Mary are not easy to parse. It shouldn't be easy to make sense of a God who wraps divine light in dark days and proceeds to shine love on us all. It shouldn't be manageable to understand all the links that these ancient stories reveal to our modern times. It certainly does nothing to our pain and our struggle to offer basic answers when we are broken by hard times. No. In Advent, we return to mystery. So it's okay if you don't understand where things are at with you and God right now. No problem. Count it a mystery and keep going. God will meet you up ahead. God always does. We come from these sacred identities, these ancient ways of being with God in the world. Yes, the law, the prophets, the scriptures are true. But what is also true is that God is found in the world and in a womb. That we actually have a say in how we want our lives to go from here. Now, this story, it does not end with a booming voice from heaven. It doesn't finish with this flutter of thousands of angels' wings. It just ends with the voice of a girl who says yes to God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. In mystery novels, there's a moment in the narrative known as the dark turn. And the dark turn happens when the hero breaks or abandons the rules in pursuit of the secret or the truth. 
Now, more typically, the point of a mystery is to reveal something about our darker side, about our human nature. But that's not the kind of mystery we're in here. Or is it? Up until this point, when the angel arrives to greet Mary, the world has known many a brutal empire, many a violent nation, many a corrupt king. And even right here, Mary sits in a very rough time. Rome is the rule, the emperor is God. And religious minorities like the Jewish people, they are kicked around and they are used and they are ignored. So we could say that the juxtaposition with this vulnerable baby does reveal something of our nature. And here, our hero, Mary, she breaks from society's submission to violent empires. Mary says yes to God, yes to something new, yes to something risky, yes to charting a path of the divine in the world. It's one that starts with a baby, a baby about to grow in this young, poor, unwed mother, a nobody really, but one who has captured the imagination of God for a world where power abused and violence do not have the last word. Oh, you're scared? Yeah, I think Mary was pretty scared too. Oh, you feel weak? Yeah, I imagine Mary felt so weak too. Oh, you want a different world for the kids in your life? Yeah, Mary wants that too. In Mary's own words, she says, I am God's servant. May it be to me as you have said, may it be to me. The fiat mihi. And a more stripped down translation of the prayer is just let me. Let me be the one to birth this baby. Let me be the one to risk my life for love. Let me be the one whose small, faithful actions put very real change in a world of great need. After the angel leaves her, the room where Mary sits, it doesn't fill with heavenly light. But that is okay. The dark and the solitary part, it is holy too. And soon she'll head out into the night alone, into a world that doesn't know her secret. And she'll set off and she'll find her cousin Elizabeth. She'll find some comfort in the company of others who know how special these babies will grow to be. I mean, what a cast of characters assembled here to change the world. In my new love of mystery novels, I'm struck by how everyone plays a part. Each character moves the story forward or tangles up the plot or gets lost along the way. The complexity, the twists and the turns, that's what makes mystery so good. There's a doctrine in our Christian tradition known as the sacred mysteries. And a basic definition is that sacred mysteries are beliefs that are common knowledge, but are actually pretty hard to explain. And back in the fourth century, the sacraments were held as sacred mysteries. 
The power of the Eucharist and baptism has always been pretty hard to explain. I mean, what could be so special about a sip of wine? Like a little piece of bread, some water in a basin. But here's what I know about sacraments and ancient stories and holy church seasons like Advent. These rituals remind us what it means to be alive, that we are involved with the divine, that we do not have it all figured out. And even as darkness turns to light and then goes dark again, God keeps coming to us through angels and scriptures and novels and friends, sisters, poems, lovers, pets, silence, science, meditation, and song. And like Mary, we live with sacred mystery when we say, let me be a part of what God is doing even when I don't understand it. Let me hold something of the divine in my scrawny little arms. Let me glimpse God's nearness in places I do not expect. Who's ready for mystery? Because the marvels of Advent, they are here for all of us. Please join me in prayer. Our loving God, may it be to me, may it be to me, may it be to me, even when we don't understand, even when what is good and right really scares us, even when we can't see how our story will end. Jesus, will you approach us in our very real lives as your angel approached Mary? We might not expect the messenger, but can we trust that the message is beautiful and kind-hearted and true? So Spirit of the living God, present with us now, Will you enter the places of our pain and our confusion? And will you heal us of all that harms us? Amen.